Hey, Dr. Bill. Hello. Good afternoon. How are you? Hope I'm you're great. good. How are you doing? Great, great. Good. So, how was your day? Very good. This is my, you are my fifth meeting today oh. so far. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> little busier than, than normal. Just, uh, I don't normally schedule this many meetings, but today's been a little, a little crazy. Hectic. So, uh, Dr. Bill, uh, I want to talk about uh, a little bit about you. You're an associate professor of exercise and science and director of the performance and physics enhancement at the University of South Florida. If you can tell us more, uh, a little bit also about you for the people that they, they don't know you. Yeah, so I've been at the U University of South Florida for almost 14 years and doing what you said, I'm a professor of exercise science. My, my research lab has two different areas of focus, sports nutrition and physique enhancement. We, we do much more physique enhancement research currently, mainly focused on fat loss, where the, the idea is how much fat can we take off of the human body without causing any damage. And when I say damage, without causing the loss of muscle mass and without causing the loss of metabolism or metabolic rate. So that's, that's the idea with that kind of research. So some of the more recent research that we've done is a diet refeed study. We just finished a diet break study in resistance trained females. We just finished a rapid fat loss study in resistance trained males and females. And we're currently in the middle of a protein tracking versus intuitive protein eating study in non-resistance trained females. So you can kind of get the, the, the vibe that my lab does focus on females a large part of the time. So we, we do a lot of studies in female only. So, so why, why uh, I saw that uh, sometimes you wrote about the uh, consumption of protein for the woman. Why women should consume more protein? So I, I wouldn't limit that to females, but the, what protein does is from two, two perspectives. As a performance enhancer, protein is what, what I call the adaptive nutrient. So if you're an athlete and you're training, that training provides a stimulus to your body. And in order for you to adapt to that stimulus, you need protein. If you don't eat protein, you cannot adapt to that training because it's protein that will help build the enzymes, the hormones. It's what translates the DNA stimulus into functional proteins. So there's the sport aspect of protein or sport performance. From a physique enhancement perspective, I, we did some research a few years ago. We published a study in 2018 in resistance trained females that showed that higher protein in, intakes significantly increased fat, uh, muscle mass. And it also caused a greater amount of fat loss in these non-dieting female subjects. And we have a, whole, a, a, a plethora of research in obesity in the obese population where higher protein intakes along with a caloric deficit will help maintain muscle mass and even in some cases in those studies cause more fat loss. And I'm taking that concept and now trying to apply it to a leaner population. So a non-obese population who are physically active. 
Um, I want to ask you about the eating for athlete, uh, athlete performance or athletic performance. Um, if, uh, if you can tell us more about this. So I just mentioned the, the impact of protein on athletic performance. I look at carbohydrates and fat as our fueling nutrients. So when you go into your training session for that day or competition, to fuel that activity, carbs and fat are the focus. Not, you don't want to eat protein with the thinking that that's going to fuel the workout because it, it doesn't. That's not what protein is designed to do. Um, our bodies are very inefficient at breaking down protein for energy, but it's great at breaking down fats and carbs. The, so think of fats, carbs as the fueling nutrients, protein as the adaptive nutrient to help you adapt to the stimulus from your, from your training and your workouts. Other things would be depending on your sport, carbohydrates can be very um, ergogenic depending on particularly if you're an endurance athlete. And fats, there's not a lot of research on fats uh, other than to say that if your fat intake gets too low, we do have some, uh, some reports where it can suppress or lower endogenous or natural testosterone production in males. So there's like a warning if you decrease fat too much. Uh, in your opinion, what's the, the ideal pre-workout as a form of food for training, uh, as strength training? Say that one more time. I, the ideal pre-workout uh, in form of food, not uh, the supplements. Okay. For, so for yeah, not the Arabic or. So for let's just say for non, for people who are just workout once per day, so they're not going to do two workouts per day, or they don't have a practice in the morning and then a competition at night. There's not a, there's, as long as they're eating a normal carbohydrate diet, so they eat normal carbs for breakfast, lunch, dinner, they don't need to have a pre-workout carbohydrate meal or beverage to fuel that upcoming workout because their carbohydrate stores are fuel. Where it becomes much more important are for those athletes that train twice per day or if they're in sports where they have like a tournament where there's multiple sports. Um, let's say a, a wrestling match where you're going to wrestle three times per day with an hour break. That's where carbohydrate intake can be much more important in between that time or prior to the event. Now, we, and if you are an endurance athlete, there's also one caveat. A, a carbohydrate intake prior to, let's say, running a marathon or prior to a 10K race, anything that lasts 60 minutes or longer, there is research to support that a, a high-carbohydrate pre-exercise, pre-competition meal may help with performance in those situations. Okay. Uh, someone is asking, ideal diet for a CrossFit athlete? I, I think that it's a very wide uh, question, but you can answer it. Yes, yeah, and I'm I'm not able to focus on those questions. So if you can ask them, that would that would that's awesome. I, I for CrossFit athletes, I I personally would focus on making sure that they are are carbohydrate full, that their glycogen stores are full, because that sport is very anaerobic. There's a lot of of power production, and power production relies on anaerobic metabolism. So high carb, 
And I'm always, I'm always going to recommend a high protein diet because again, for the reasons that I just said, there's, there's never a negative with higher protein intakes. And we're assuming healthy people here, never a negative. And it builds more muscle mass. It helps people recover better and it helps them adapt to their training. So I CrossFit prioritize carbs and protein. Okay, Anton is asking which body fat percentage range is most optimal for muscle growth. That's that's been a new area of of inquiry, and I don't have an answer for that. I, I I'm not aware of any studies that have been designed to answer that question. So a lot of times, what people will do is they'll look at other they'll look at studies and they'll make inferences. But you got to be careful when you do that because. When, when, if you're looking at studies to give you information, if the studies weren't designed to answer that question, the out, sometimes the outcome data is not very relevant. So I think the best thing to do would be to have a study where you, where you design it from the start, where you have, let's just say males in this case, we're gonna have a group of males that are between seven and 15% body fat. And how much can they gain? Um, how much more muscle can they gain? Then we're going to have another. So I, I, again, I'm not aware of a study like that that's been done to make firm conclusions. Now it it may exist, and I'm just not aware of it. But I, I'm not aware of that study being done. Does taking casein protein before a, a bad increase muscle mass? Taking um, caffeine and protein? Cas no, no, casein, casein protein. Oh, casein. Um, so I like, I like casein protein when, when dieting. So if somebody's in a caloric deficit, casein has two advantages. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about one study that was done in police officers. Not the best study because... Um, the police officers were, were likely gaining back muscle mass that they previously had. So that's one of the, what I think is one of the limitations. But in this study, they took police officers and they had them diet, I think it was uh, a couple months, and they gave them either casein or whey protein as their, as their supplemented protein. And the casein group in this caloric deficit, they actually gained more muscle mass while dieting than the, K, than the whey protein group. So we do have research to suggest that that's the case. The other advantage that casein has is when, when you compare it directly to whey protein post-workout, whey protein will have a, a larger increase in muscle protein synthesis for the first three hours, but casein will give you a larger muscle protein synthesis from hours three to six. Now those differences are, they're not huge. They're not significant. They're not statistically significant, but casein is delayed in the digestive system and it does give you a more elongated muscle protein synthesis over time. Now, let me also say, when you look at the total six hour period, whey protein and casein give you the same muscle protein synthesis response, response post-workout. So, I like casein for myself when I'm dieting because it makes me feel fuller longer. And I like whey protein post-workout because it make I'm not one, I'm not as hungry. 
um, post-workout. And whey protein has a higher insulin response. So I like insulin to suppress muscle protein breakdown. And I like casein later in the day or uh, in the first meal of the day because it helps me with my hunger. So there's all my, there's all my information on casein. Um, uh, Felipe asking, uh, can caffeine affect the creatine effect? Uh, there, there's, there has been some research. I would say the data is conflicting. Um, I, would, I would suggest take caffeine pre-workout, take creatine post-workout, then you, you eliminate any possibility of that happening. Um, I still would suggest that it's, it's relatively... A, a minimal effect it's 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 not it's not going to hurt your gains that much but again i don't want to ignore some of the research that that does point in that direction our athlete women should make a change in their diet when they are in their period days i wouldn't start with that assumption but if i i love experimenting so if a female athlete wants to experiment with higher carbs or more calories during certain phases of their menstrual cycle. I think that's a great place to experiment. I know personally, and this isn't based on research, I haven't seen much of an impact on body composition or performance trying to manipulate it around the menstrual cycle. But that's, you know, that's a handful of females that, that I'm referring to. So if it helps a particular female, great. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't say you. It's 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 a it's an established fact that you need to do that. What do you think about uh, BCAA? I I don't think BCAAs are useful if you're taking a normal whey protein, casein protein. Let's just say a high quality protein supplement. So whey protein contains about 33% BCAAs, casein a little less than that. So you're getting plenty of BCAAs uh, in, in a high quality protein supplement. So I think to spend the money on BCAAs, it, it just isn't wise. Are you doing any damage? Well, Dr. Robert Wolf published a study saying that And he cited two studies, one of them in, in mice, where muscle protein synthesis actually decreased. But there's other research saying that BCAAs increase muscle protein synthesis. But I will say this, you need all of the amino acids to build new muscle mass. So if you just take BCAAs and you have an increase in muscle mass or an increase in muscle protein synthesis, what you're doing is you're just getting the amino acids that were just broken down to be resynthesized back into the muscle. So you're not really gaining new muscle. The only time you gain new muscle is if you give the body all of the amino acids and particularly all of the eight or nine essential amino acids. Okay. Um, what is your view on carb cycle? On carb cycling? Many yes. Uh, I, I personally do carb cycling for myself as a lifestyle approach to my nutrition. So I will increase my carbohydrates on the weekend and for no other reason than I like to eat more food on the weekend. Um, I, I, yeah. 
we know it does no harm. So we, we published a study in 20, early 2020 on diet refeeds, which was basically a carb cycling study that was in dieting resistance trained individuals, males and females. And by increasing carbs on the weekends, it caused a significant improvement in the retention of dry fat-free mass. So when I say dry, we just subtracted the water content out of the body. And it actually did perform better than not doing carbohydrate refeeds because it helped maintain uh, normal fat-free mass and metabolic rate better. It just wasn't significantly better than, than not having carb refeeds. Um, I would generally say, though, if, if you're thinking that carbohydrate refeeds are going to give you a huge advantage, I don't think that's the case. I think that they're better suited if you want, if you, like me, if you want to have more carbs at certain periods of time, it makes sense within a lifestyle. But I don't think it's going to give you an advantage. Dr. Marta is asking, what about BCAA in performance not to gain muscle? If, um, if the BCAA effect on uh, performance not uh, uh, the target to, to gain muscle mass. Yeah, so the, the one theory that's been established the is, is with BCAAs is the um, central fatigue hypothesis. So that's where you, if you take BCAAs before exercise, they'll increase in the blood. And by increasing in the blood, they actually share the same transporter, the, the blood-brain barrier transporter that tryptophan has. Now, tryptophan's another amino acid. If tryptophan goes across the blood-brain barrier and increases in the brain, it gets metabolized and it will increase serotonin levels. And that causes people to have a feeling of fatigue. So if you can stop tryptophan from going into the brain, you, in theory, you have less fatigue. So this theory is, let me take BCAAs before endurance exercise, and that will increase in the blood. And then what happens is because they, they share the same transporter as tryptophan, they basically block tryptophan from increasing in the brain. So theoretically, it makes sense that BCAAs would improve endurance performance. But the studies that have looked at this are almost uniformly in agreement that BCAAs do not increase endurance performance. But at the same time, there's no harm. They don't cause you to perform less well or they don't they don't cause no. an ergolytic effect so there's no harm but to i'm the research saying that bcaa's improved performance just isn't strong it's like you're drinking a juice <laughs> yeah and i've heard many people say that they like how it they like it because how, the way it flavors the water and i i would say well great then then yes, take I, it i don't i don't think you're doing harm it's a good placebo. Yes, yeah, potentially, yes. Now, let me say this. There is some research that BCAAs help post-workout with recovery and muscle damage. But I would still say, don't take BCAAs in place of a whole protein source. Take your whey protein or casein or after a workout because you're going to get the same effect anyway. Since we're in Ramadan, uh, many people, uh, they fast all day. So someone is asking, uh, 
thoughts on fasted weightlifting session? About training during a fa fasted session? Uh, let's say uh, the fasting is around uh, 18 hours or 16 hours. So they train and uh, after like uh, one hour they, they can eat uh, again. So uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I would definitely, I would try to get my work out closer to the time of my feeding if I can during Ramadan rather than doing it where I'm not going to be eating for, a, for many hours. Okay. Um, how would you stop uh, tretophon going to brain? The real... Uh, how would I, how would I stop what? Tryptophan. I don't, oh, tryptophan. I don't... Yeah, so that, that's, that was what we talked about with BCAAs. Since tryptophan um, uses the same transporter to go into the brain as these large amino acids, these BCAAs, the, the thinking is that BCAAs saturate this, this amino acid transporter, and because they're saturating it, tryptophan doesn't get into the brain as much as it would if there were not a competing BCAA concentration elevation. What are your, your views on vegan diet? I, for people who, who choose to do a vegan diet for ethical reasons, religious reasons, whatever their reasons are, I, I think that's fine. From a protein perspective they would just need to be if they're trying to maximize their adaptations to, to for muscle mass they're going to need to take higher amounts of protein because they're not getting any of the high quality sources so it, it just i think at the end of the day as long as they can eat 1.5 or two times as much protein as they would if they were eating high quality protein sources I think their adaptations would be very similar. And life would be hard. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> you would probably have to use a, a, a supplement, um, a vegetarian protein supplement. I, I agree. It would be difficult. Uh, uh, Alkanatine and CLA, are they effective? Uh, what was the question? Creatine and what was the other one? No, no, L-carnitine and CLA for fat loss, uh, I guess you mean. Oh, so carnitine and, and CLA. So, yes, yeah, CLA is conjugated linoleic acid. That, there is some research, but it's mostly in rodent models that have shown a benefit for fat loss. There's also some research in obese populations where CLA has been helpful with fat loss. I'm not aware of research in lean people, people with resistance training. So I, it's, it's hard to say. There's also plenty of research saying it's not effective. Um, with CLA, when it is effective, there is a specific isomer. And I think it's, I think it's called like trans-9-cis-11. Those are the two locations in, in, the, in the fatty acid chain where the double bond has to be. Um, cis, cis 11 trans nine. I don't, I, it's something very specific in those studies when it has been effective. I personally wouldn't take CLA. I'm not convinced that it's, that it is effective. And, and the other one was, um, what was the other one? L-carnitine? L-carnitine. 
Yeah, so that also has some, some good benefits for overall health. Theoretically, it really helps with fat transport. So if you, if you ever study how fat is actually burned or how fat is actually oxidized or lost, there's a transporter on the mitochondria that contains carnitine. It's called CPT, carnitine palmitoyl transferase 1. And then there's another enzyme called carnitine palmitoyl transferase 2. So mechanistically, carnitine is, is important for fat oxidation or for transporting fats to be burned. The earlier research didn't seem to be very uh, positive in terms of L-carnitine causing additional fat loss. What I'm hearing now from, from coaches that I respect is injectable L-carnitine. So injecting the carnitine into your body rather than taking it orally has much better effects. But I don't know if that works and I don't know if, I don't think there's been any research on that. Specifically, uh, most of the people take uh, uh, this stuff and they, they are not following a calorie deficit and they are not doing uh, the right uh, uh, exercise so they think that if they take the alcarnitine it's gonna be uh, enough to, to lose all the fat without uh, doing any diet no i don't think so because the the power of a diet with carnitine theoretically the diet will break down the fat so let's say i have fat up here for whatever reason i need to break this down and i need to get it into my mitochondria the L-carnitine will help get it into the mitochondria where I can actually burn it. But I don't believe L-carnitine has a lipolytic effect where it's going to break down fat. So that's where you need the caloric deficit to kind of prime the system or to start the process. The super slow training uh, is determined to maximizing muscle hypertrophy. So let me let me rephrase. Uh, is, is super slow training a good approach for maximizing muscle hypertrophy? Yeah. I don't believe so. The the research and I've I've done some reading on this just in the last few months. I I, I don't think so at all. I I believe a a more explosive concentric motion primarily will stimulate type two muscle fibers, and those are the ones that have a greater propensity to hypertrophy. So super slow training, you're not, it's, it's the opposite of explosive. So you're not, you're, unless you train very much to failure, you're not activating the type two muscle fibers. Now I will say what I personally do is on my eccentric contraction or my eccentric action, I try to go slower. So I try to explode the, 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 the weight on my concentric. And then I just try to control the weight slower, maybe two seconds on my eccentric. But to have each repetition 10, 20, 30 seconds, the, the research definitely, there is some research to suggest that's better, but there's more research saying it's not effective. And some would say it's counterproductive. So I don't, I don't, I don't recommend super slow training for hypertrophy. Kim is asking testosterone for postmenopausal females in lifting weights, question mark. Yeah, and I don't have a lot of knowledge in that area. Uh, the only thing I have is anecdotal, and this, this came from a conversation I had with Will Grazione. He's a, he's a very good coach. He, he was giving me information on one of his 
somebody that he knows um, where they started giving this female very low doses of testosterone, you know, with physician supervision. And in her case, it was very positive, but that's one person. And I, I just have not researched that area enough to say, yes, it's a good thing. No, it's a bad thing. I, I, I don't have an opinion on that. Now, I would like to learn more about that. I just haven't had the time to do that. Uh, Chris asking, what would be the best approach for a client that used to under eat for a prolonged time, but is an overweight person and has difficulties to lose weight? Uh, I didn't get uh, his question. Maybe he can be more clear about uh, what what's the the purpose from the question. Well, I I see um, Kim D Fit. She's somebody that's been following me for a while. Hey Kim, you're one of my. You're, I always feel like you really support me, so thank you. She also is suggesting that a I believe low dose te low dose testosterone has helped her and I'm assuming postmenopausal um, adaptations for her and her resistance training. So now that's two people that have told me anecdotally that it's positive. By the way, I have a personal experience uh, with, with this. Um, yeah. I have, I have the psoriasis arthritis. So uh, I, uh, it's, it's been severe and uh, around 10 years and I have it, I have it chronic disease. I tried many things like TNF and uh, all the, the the stuff, and it's uh, it's always they they come back and they uh, they are better sometimes the joints, but um, last summer I tried uh, some test and tram, and uh, surprisingly uh, I I have uh, I have like self healing from uh, from the joint. Um, I'm not saying I'm I'm recommending people to take uh, things, but uh, it's personal experience. And uh, when I did some research, uh, I saw that uh, because I have an autoimmune disease and when I take the, the test, it lowered the immunity and uh, I had the lower, uh, lower inflammation. So technically it was uh, beneficial uh, from, uh, from the, the other side. Uh, but but I'm uh, I'm for sure I'm I'm doing the, all the blood tests and now I'm recovering I'm I'm not taking anymore. But now I have an, a more inflammation uh, due to to the stop of this. So um, uh, sometimes uh, the test is uh, is good for some people, and some people they, they it's it's very uh, they have many side effects and um, and a lot of problems. Okay. So are you saying it helped you with your recovery, but your inflammation has, has gotten worse or it's gotten better? When I stopped. When oh, I, when you, okay. I see when you, yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, I couldn't do squats when I start uh, the cycle. Uh, like I was doing like two, 215 uh, squat. I did a powerlifting competition. I was great at it. So uh, it was like magic. Even the the biological treatment that they do, uh, they have um, the. It's called Ambrel. It's like like fifty tau a year the treatment. Wow. Ooh. And uh, it's it worked the same as the test. Uh, it lowered the immunity for sure. It's more medical and uh, supervised, but uh, it it has the same effect. Even even better. Yeah. But wow, it's a lot of money. <laughs> 
yes, yes. Uh, it's uh, it's very expensive. And you've had is your arthritis is it rheumatoid? Is it is it not rheumatoid? What kind of arthritis do you it's uh rheumatoid. Okay. So that's something you'll have forever, right? Like you that that's not yes. curable? Okay. Yes, yes. Before before I was uh, always I played the um, uh, if you want to say the the victim mode and I can't train, but now I'm training. I'm deadlifting 300 kilos. I'm doing all the thing I want and uh, it's uh, doing great. So sometimes on the inflammatory. Has, has the lifting helped you? Help your condition? Yeah, it helps <sighs> a lot. But you've got to be really, really mentally tough to, to start that because I'm sure it's very painful when you start. It's very painful. Sometimes I can do a bodyweight squat. Uh, if, um, uh, what, technically what I do, I, I take anti-inflammatory, I spray some deep heat, and I train. It's uh, no excuse. <laughs> yeah. So you only live once. But I'm sure I'm not recommending every every body have rheumatoid arthritis. He can see his doctor and uh, before I do any any of uh, training, uh, maybe he can be. Uh, it's it's uh, something that I I discovered after ten years of uh, traditional medicine. Okay. Okay, so uh, we still have like three questions. Um, how would be how would be the effect of a sixty years old woman starting to lift weight? Noah is asking. Yeah, so the the effect would be all one hundred percent positive, assuming that they're healthy, that they don't have you know metabolic you know any joint issues. Uh, muscle mass can be gained. Fat loss. <laughs> Can be uh, fat mass can be lost, uh, metabolic rate can be improved. It's uh, and if they're just starting, I would I would suggest starting slowly. You don't need to. I would suggest probably a two, maybe a three day training program, whole body for the first few months until they get used to the lifts. But it's uh, it's one of those things, even uh, very frail elderly who start resistance training actually gain muscle mass they just don't gain as much as they would have when they were 25 but it's it's positive and it's good it helps maintain bone density as well okay uh, how can i control sugar eating during period Whew, that's that's probably more of a psychological question and i'm not a psychologist um I, i'll just say <laughs> things that I know is try not to have the, have the things in the house during that time. Um, or maybe allow yourself to have a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not very good at the, how can I do this when it's more psychological? I'm, I'm more of a physiologist and, uh, the psychology part of this field that was very important. It's like, that's probably more important than what I have to offer because if you can't get somebody to do something, it really might not matter the outcome of what I can say should happen. But that's what I do. I tell you, if you do this, this is what will happen. And then other people, like the psych exercise psychologist, they'll tell you how to get your mind into a state where you can start to do the, the, the habits or the, the actions.
Okay, I guess we're done. Okay, thank you, Dr. Bill, so much for your time. Uh, it was great. And um, hopefully we can uh, catch up soon. Yes. Hey, thank you very much for the opportunity and, and, and for inviting me on. I'm, I'm, thank you. I'm moving to Toronto next, uh, next month. Maybe when I visit USA, uh, we'll meet you in person. Yes. I'm, uh, are you based in Florida now? Yes. Yep. I'm in Tampa, Florida. That's right. We, we, might, uh, we might go to Florida, so maybe we, we can meet and, uh, and see you soon. Yeah, you have to go to Florida. It's it's sunny. It's hot. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> it's great. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and I thank you everybody else who who took time to to listen to us. Um thank you all. Thank you. All right. Bye.